Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. A lot of people like the snow. I find it to be an unnecessary freezing of water. Carl Reiner. So hiking snow, navigating snow, layering myself for snow, any knowledge about snow I learned from other hikers on trail or from my experience. So by the time I got to, uh, it actually started snowing in New Mexico before we got to the border to Colorado. There was a couple foot feet of snow at the border to Colorado. It was around Memorial Day weekend. I had to order snowshoes for the first time. Never used snowshoes before. How to learn carrying snowshoes, how to learn how to micro spikes. Type two fun was the entire state of Colorado. At that point, there was probably 12 other hikers for the season about like ahead of me and sometimes those hikers were getting lost they were getting off trail they're getting back on trail they were going around i heard all these horror stories so i kind of grouped up with a few people and that type two fun was just surviving every day i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a triple crowner, 
ultra runner and fitness coach. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirpod, Sarah Dramas. How's it going, Sarah? Good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat today. Same here. Same here. Did I, I, I did not ask you in, in the pre-interview talk here about the pronunciation of your last name. Did I get it right or did I mispronounce it? It's Dramas. You got it right. <laughs> Dramas. All right. Very good. We're off to a great start. And I'd like to point out if you're not watching on YouTube, if you're just listening, that tonight is a first. Tonight we have both the host and the guest both in hats. And I, I, I This is the first time I've recorded in a hat. So um, I got a, got a nice surprise in the mail yesterday when a package arrived and I got my hiker it's trash right. hat from the Instagram account out in the wild dot life and it's uh creator and host matador he is he uh he saw my interview with Ivy tat um and uh, we made comments on Ivy tat's hat which was this hiker trash hat and uh, matador reached out to me and said hey I gotta send you a hat and he sent it to me free of charge so I'm I'm excited to be wearing this it puts me a little bit closer to Ivy Tat's stature. I'm not even close in terms of um, through hiking miles or or level of badassery, but uh, this this gets me just a little bit closer to Ivy Tat. I'm I'm really excited about this hat. <laughs> Jealous, and I like that. Sarah, what uh, what hat are you wearing? I'm just wearing a good old fashioned Nike hat. I uh, I'm pretty sweaty all the time, so a hat is just a nice way to pretend that I'm presentable. <laughs> And you also have a jacket on. It looks like you're you're broadcasting from a very cold location. <laughs> I'm preparing for my life of living in the mountains. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> you're calling you're calling in from Colorado right now. Yes. Yes. It's and pretty cold. You, we just had some snow this morning. You said it was 18 degrees in Colorado right now. Yeah. Still getting used to it. <laughs> and do you have the heat turned on? I mean. No, I'm just trying to like really acclimate. I'm originally from Florida and have lived in warm temps. So this is only my second winter. I'm trying to like become braver than I think I am. They didn't have winters down in Florida? Nope, not in Hawaii either. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, Sarah, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? A couple times. Okay. So you are familiar with the format. Uh, I want to make sure that you're aware of a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Gotcha. Okay. All right. The Must Bring Gear Review. Hey, Sarah, another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day or a multi-month hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Sarah, what is your must-bring piece of gear out there? I'm going to go with the long handle summit to see to summit spoon, titanium spoon. I was a small handle girl for a long time. Once I committed to that long handle spoon, you can really get deep into those gallons of block bags to eat your food, and it makes a world of difference. Um, and plus, when it's longer, you can't lose it as easily because, of my experience, I have been forced to eat my dinner with a tent steak before. So, <laughs> long handle spoon club all the way. 
Nice. Unless you are really ultra light, then you can just use that dual purpose tent stake as your, as your spoon. So <laughs> possibility, but the long handled spoon, it keeps the, it keeps the food off of your knuckles. Yes. And I mean, I don't like smelling like food, but I'm sleeping by myself in my tent out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. With possible, you know, bears roaming around. That's probably, that's a good Very tip. Possible. <laughs> nice. Uh, Sarah, I neglected to ask you earlier. Did you, have you picked up a trail name? You're a triple crowner. You have to have a trail name, right? <laughs> I do. And thinking back on it in 2015, when I was on my first through hike, um, I was trail named Hawaii because at the time I was living in Hawaii. I was there for about 10 years and I always talked about it. So it is not a very epic story. I wish I would have passed that one on and held for a better epic story, but it just stuck. So I am Hawaii and it's never going to change. <laughs> oh, you, know, you know, the way you led into that story it sounded like my first name, my first trail name was Hawaii, but now I've got something else, but it's, it's still Hawaii. <laughs> it's still Hawaii. I mean, there's many other occasions and instances where I could have been re-trail named, but I, I decided to be OG and stick with the, the original one. <laughs> okay. And let's, let's talk about Hawaii for a little bit. You, you were there for 10 years. How, how'd you end up in Hawaii and, and why on earth did you ever leave? <laughs> That's always the number one question. Um, I was actually born and raised in Florida till I was 18, got married very young, uh, which brought me to Hawaii. And after I got divorced, decided to stay. And surprisingly enough, but not surprisingly, the mountains in Hawaii actually were my first encounter with mountains and trail systems. And I decided to stay, ended up getting my education and going on to start my career there in the Hawaiian Islands, and it became quite a fascination. But after some time of through hiking over the years, I realized I wanted to live in bigger mountains. So ended up making my way back to the mainland, California, and now Colorado, and I'm not leaving. <laughs> okay, now you, did your then husband, did he was he from Hawaii? Did he work in Hawaii? How did no, that, military how did that orders. Military orders. Military. Got it. Military got orders. It. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about gear. I'm, I'm interested to hear about how, especially triple crowners, what their gear looks like, how it evolves from their first long trail to their, to their last long trail. Um, and to help us talk about gear, we have. It's the hiking pole. The hiking pole. And that's P-O-L-L. Uh, like a survey, not P-O-L-E, like the thing you carry in your hand. And this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me determine. It's going to help us talk about gear, but it's also going to help me determine your level of sanity. I'm going to give you a score <laughs> when we're done here between one and 100, all right, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. And I'll give you a hint. Uh, I can already tell you're not completely sane because if you've done a long trail, if you've done one of the three American long trails, it's an automatic 25 point deduction. So your highest score is 75. Let's go. You ready? Yeah. Okay. We'll start off. We'll start off slow. Uh, first question, hiking poles or no hiking poles? Absolutely. 100% yes. And why is that? I use that? them for my tent. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's important. That's important. I use them for my tent, but I go up mountains and down mountains 10 times faster having that mental trust. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, our listeners out there, you know, just a reminder, this is a triple crowner. So when she says hiking poles are a must, I, I would, uh, I would take that advice. What do you say to the people out there who are like, you know, I'm tough enough. I don't need, I don't need trekking poles. 
good for you. I mean, I, I wish I didn't need them, but I like not having to carry um, a tent that has uh, like a, a pre-framed tent. I like just being able to adjust them at the end of the day. So it saves me some weight. I also like poles for crossing water sources, especially when there's a fast moving river. So if you don't need them, props to you. I just rather prefer the safety. Yeah, they are multifunction. Uh, definitely a a uh, big positive boost out there on the trail. All right, question number two: What's on your feet? Boots or trail runners? Hundred percent trail runners. I don't recommend boots. Again, if that's your thing, go with it. <laughs> um, I have hiked all my trails in trail runners, and I've never had a blister or an injury. So I swear by light uh, light shoes on your feet that help you move faster and don't take any time to dry out. Hey, Hawaii, you know what I'm, you know, what I'm noticing here is that you, huh. you do not, you do not waffle. You are 100% <laughs> one way or the other. I mean, the first two answers here, 100% with the, the first words out of your mouth. So there you go. <laughs> I know what I, I know what I like. <laughs> yes. Do you have a, a favorite brand of trail runners? I am a uh, ultra lone peaker. I started out both trails. I started out the PCT and new balance. Leadville's and they discontinued them, moved on to Saucony's, discontinued the ones I was wearing. And for the uh, AT and then the CDT moved into the Lone Peak Ultras. And I just get five to 600 miles out of them. And having that wide toe box for my toes to spread out really has helped my feet just kind of create their own rhythm on trail more so. And now I use them as an ultra runner. Um, no complaints and I, they hold up pretty well. Okay. Now, when you first started out hiking, when your first experiences out there, did you feel the need that, oh, I'm hiking, I need to do a boot or were you always trail runner? I've actually never worn boots before, <laughs> to be honest with you. Growing up in Florida and then Hawaii training for my first through hike on the PCT, I was either barefoot in Hawaii or wearing those Vibram five finger. Do you remember those toe shoes? Yes. So I was wearing those, but when I got closer to actually leaving for the PCT, I realized it was time to give my feet a little bit more support and then had started trading in trail runners. So I didn't have that background in boots that some people maybe comparatively do. So it wasn't a big shift for me. It was like, oh, I got to tie my shoes now, not just put on flip flops or such. And <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, anybody out there on the long trails doing it barefoot or, or using toe shoes? You know, I saw a few people over the years with the Vibrams, um, and the year I did the AT in 2017, there was a girl who, maybe there was uh, two girls together that I want to say did the entire thing barefoot, which props to them. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I mean, that that uh, you got to have some tough feet. Your, your bottom of your foot has to have uh, some serious calluses. <laughs> I think I've seen on Instagram some i think she's european she might be english and is it anna mcnuff does that sound familiar i don't know okay she's always she always seems to be barefoot out there so maybe maybe i'm wrong than I. <laughs> okay all right question number three when it comes to shelters uh what is your preference are you tent tarp hammock bivy or hey let's just cowboy camp so i'm definitely a tenter i'm not i've done all my through hikes in a single wall tent I had a, a Yama Mountain Gear single wall tent from the first trail and then moved on, used it for the second, and then the Z-Pax duplex. Most intimidating when I first started through hiking 
on the PCT was cowboy camping. I was terrified of snakes. And I was like, it's just going to crawl in when I'm sleeping and attack me. Lo and behold, it doesn't work like that. And on the PCT, I actually cowboy camped more than I slept in my tent, which the PCT out of all the trails um, is most conducive to that and definitely made me fall in love with cowboy camping. That being said, on the AT, I cowboy camped like three times just because of the environment. So situationally, where you are in the U.S. and on what trail you are, um, it could be adaptable. Absolutely love cowboy camping, but there is something very cozy to me about crawling in my tent at the end of the day and zipping it up and knowing that I am safe in my little cocoon. <laughs> right. Hey, are there any overnight or multiple multi-day trails in Hawaii? On the island of Kauai, yes, there is the Kalalau Trail, which before I left for the PCT, went out and did 22 miles out and back um, on the coast. It hugs the coast, which is pretty beautiful. And I definitely do recommend that to people who are going to go on a long hike to go out there and test your gear, see how you adapt, see how it is when it's raining and you're at mile six and you still have five miles to go. Um, it just kind of check in with yourself mentally. So I did fly to the island of Kauai and do the Kalalau Trail and test out my gear. Hard to compare the island of Hawaii to then moving to go to the PCT. But it was a good exercise um, to prepare me mentally. That's right. Got to test that gear. I know that there are some people out there, successful, successful through hikers who have shown up day one. Uh, this is the first time they've ever packed their pack or, or carried their pack fully, fully loaded. And they've never actually used any of the gear yet. But th those are a rare breed, I would say. I mean, you, you those, should those are the people you want to stick around because they're going to get rid of stuff and it might be stuff you need. <laughs> Nice. Now, when you're out on the trail, I mean, uh, being concerned with pack weight, I mean, do you take other people's discards? I mean, I think it's uh, people ask me, don't don't people steal stuff out there? I'm like, no, people don't steal stuff. That's just more stuff to carry. And that's more weight. Beautiful uh, world, the through hiking world. I was super obsessed before I did my first uh, through hike in 2015 on the PCT of like getting my gear down. And I had gone through it dozens of times. And even by the night before I get on trail, I'd stay with Scout and Frodo, popular trail angels. And they gave me a pack shakedown. There was two or three things I like hid. And I was like, I don't want them to take it away. But within the first like 200 miles, I dropped like seven pounds of weight. So you can obsess over it all you want, but until you're actually out there and using stuff and not using stuff, you kind of learn as you go. So don't be embarrassed to show up with a bunch and just be like, hey, I'm humbled. I don't need five of this and 10 of this. <laughs> um, it's sort of like if you're not going to use it in the next 10 miles, you can get it later on down down the way. And so you carry your fears. And if you had have a lot of fears, you're going to carry all of them. But if you're going to also you know, learn over time to trust the trail and trust that you will be provided for and have the resources that you will need. I love that. That is so articulate the way you said that you carry your fears. And once you've been out for a while, you realize you don't have to be that scared. And so that, you, yeah, you, you would <laughs> Yeah. But have you ever seen other hikers? I mean, uh, pick up some of the discarded gear or did, maybe they Absolutely. swap it out if they, if they are not, if they, if, if what is there is, is better than what they're carrying, of course. Absolutely. And that's the beauty yeah. of hiker boxes. You know, when you get to towns where um, there's, hostels or hotels or restaurants or post offices where you can 
leave food or gear and then take it. And it's, it's really nice. Like I said, talking about that community again, because I can drop, you know, brand new sun gloves that I've only worn once in 300 miles of a desert, but there's a lighter skin female who's going to want that or, or need those sun gloves and she's getting blisters on her hands. So it's a, it's a really beautiful relationship of leaving gear for people in those boxes or food. You know, sometimes people would send themselves boxes of food every week on trail. And so halfway through the trail, I'd want to follow those people into the post office because they're going to dump all the good stuff that I haven't had every week, but they're sick of eating. So it's, uh, you kind of learn as you go and you're like, Hey, you want me to take it off your hands? Would you like this? And it's kind of like you barter and trade a bit. And it kind of takes us back to the old days. Yeah. What, what is the the best thing to look out for in terms of identifying those, those types of people? I mean, they have a certain way about them. Uh, any, any, any telltale signs where you can say, you know what, I might be able to pick something up here. Yeah. It's like the day you're going into town, like five days and they still have snicker bars and they still have like mountain houses <laughs> and they still have the good food left. And I've just got like a pack of ramen and trail mix. And I'm like, how do you still have the good? Oh, you're getting another package. Oh, you don't like those Snickers anymore? How about, you know what? Let's go to town. Maybe we'll grab a burger after we hit up that post office. <laughs> nice. And you mentioned Scout and Frodo, uh, famous, famous trail angels who do, yeah. who, who used to do so much. I think they, I think they've retired officially mm -hmm. now, but they used to do so much uh, for PC, first, especially first time PCT hikers. Uh, I had Scout on the podcast uh, during season two, uh, just outstanding. Awesome. Did you read his book, Journeys North? I did read his book. I So I, I stayed with them the night before I did my trail. And then in 2017, I had just reached Vermont going north on the Appalachian Trail, and he was southbounding. And we had this interaction, and I was brought to tears. <laughs> and such a beautiful thing. I mean, they've helped thousands and thousands of people. Um but just that, you know, it's two years later, I'm on a different trail on a, the different side of the United States. And it just felt like seeing an old friend or like seeing my dad again or something and gave him a nice warm hug. And he gave me one piece of advice and I listened to it. And I was so proud of it. He said, you know, you're doing your second trail now. He said, you need to go do the CDT before it changes, you know, before it becomes really popular and before all the pieces are connected and it's going to be different. So you got to go claim it. And so two years later, I followed his advice, but uh, wow. very that's thankful for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I can't wait to hear your impressions about the CDT because it is so different than the other two. So we'll, yeah. we'll get there in just a bit. <laughs> uh, back to the hiking pole. Um, when it comes to your sleep system, are you, are you sleeping bag or do you prefer a quilt? Sleeping bag. Okay. I've had two 20 degree uh, Z-packs down sleeping bags and I still use mine from the CDT. So it lasts. And I've only had two of their bags over 9,000 miles of hiking. And other than some duct tape, I haven't had any issues. I mean, it's definitely brown when I put it in water in my in my bathtub afterwards. I have to give it a couple washes. But I stay pretty warm. And uh, I have no reason to get anything else. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if it's not brown when you put it in the bathtub after your hike, you're not doing it right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? That's that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, Z-Packs, I mean, they are pretty highly regarded. I think at least once in every episode, I've got a guest who mentions something with Z-Packs. Did you ever watch uh, Highline? Yes. Did you see that documentary? 
Yes. I didn't realize until afterwards because they didn't mention it in the in the in the actual documentary. They made reference to uh, one of the guys. I think was it Joe, uh, one of the guys who had an outdoor equipment company, but they de- they never mentioned it by name. I interviewed Benny Braden uh, okay. on an episode, and he he I asked him. I said, you know, what is the company? Because I was curious, and he he let it he let it let me know that it was Z-Packs, that Joe is actually the founder of, of Z-Packs. So that's, that's very interesting. And, and you know, I, I probably should have been able to draw that conclusion because throughout the documentary, all their tents are, are, are Z-Packs. Right? So. <laughs> it's quality for the price point. I and mean, it was very intimidated by the ultralight community when I first started through hiking. Like, well, I don't want to spend over $300 on a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. But you got to trust all the reviews and the material. And it never let me down. And so I, I stand behind a product if it serves me well and is reliable. And if it's broke, if it's not broke, I'm not going to fix it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Question number, where are we? Five. Uh, when it comes to food, stove, cold soak, or stoveless? I'm a stove girl. Okay. <laughs> through through. I like, I get way too cold, had hypothermia for the first time in the Sierra. Um, so there's a saving grace for me in heating up some warm food at the end of very cold and long, rainy, snowy day. Do you have a favorite meal? Well, I've never gotten sick of ramen after all these miles, but it's rice sides like cheddar broccoli, Spanish rice, chicken rice. I could eat rice all day. <laughs> yeah. You can't go wrong with rice and ramen. I mean, there there are some <laughs> items where I have you know, I've I've not done a long trail like any of the triple crowners out there, but um, you know, been out there for for ten plus days, and there have been some food items that I don't care to look at again because I just yeah. overdid it. But Flip ramen bars. and rice, never. I mean, those those are <laughs> solid. All right, question number six: Is life better above or below the tree line? Mm. Depends on what day you're asking me. <laughs> oh, this is this is not a hundred percent answer. Nope. Depends on what the clouds are doing. <laughs> I've had a lot of scares above treeline um in lightning storms, specifically on the Colorado Trail and then on the Continental Divide Trail, where I'm just like praying to see trees again, <laughs> dodging lightning. I don't know. Depends on the day. When I'm below tree line, I just want to be above it. But when I'm above it, I want to stay and then eventually get back down and feel safe again. So yeah, not a hundred percent answer for me. Interesting. Okay. All right. We got her to waffle on something. Nice. <laughs> All right. Question number seven, last question in the poll. What's more important pack weight or luxury items? Pack weight. And what is, what was your base weight when you used on your, was your first trail, the PCT? My first trail was the PCT. I don't know what my base weight was. It was probably a lot heavier than I wanted it to be but my base weight for my last of my triple crown trails on the continental divide was 11 maybe 12 pounds um, so I say um, pack weight is more important but for me my luxury items are usually food related so that weight doesn't really stay <laughs> okay and so tell me about your luxury food items oh like the whole cheesecake sometimes um pies <laughs> I love to eat and I, my resupply strategy is if I'm going to put my food into my food, my hand in my food bag and it's a long day and I still have like 12 miles for the day, 
if I'm going to pull something out of my food bag, is it going to make me happy or sad? Chances are, if it's a cliff bar, it's not going to make me happy. <laughs> but if it's like a little cake or a pie, <laughs> it's probably going to make me happy and give me endorphins to get back up the next mountain. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about cliff bars. I mean, there's nothing wrong with cliff bars. They're, they're <laughs> high density, good source of uh, calories. But man, they are not, they're not a whole lot of fun to eat. I mean, I've been at a food like once or twice, like almost completely of my food on trail and strangers have given me snacks. I remember one time being given a peanut butter cliff bar and being like, I would rather do anything other than eat this. But when I ate it, it was like the most satisfying. So it has, I think it depends on your mental state <laughs> and how willing you are to trick your mind <laughs> into sustenance. <laughs> Yeah, my my jaw always hurts when I eat Cliff bars yeah. or other other protein bars. I mean, it's just a, a lot of work. Protein um, bars on trail just don't cut it for me. Yeah, I'd rather eat now, jerky all day long. Reaching into the bag and pulling out a whole cheesecake. I mean that that is a a strategy I could I could go with. I just put it into a gallon Ziploc and I would just lay in my sleeping bag in the morning and I just spoon feed myself cheesecake and I stand by it. It's a quality trail breakfast. Luxury. Pop-Tarts nice. just crumble, but cheesecake, that satisfies. <laughs> yeah, Pop-Tarts. Speaking of, of foods that I don't go back to very often anymore because I got sick of them on the trail, Pop-Tarts is another one. And I make that face because now my diet has nothing to do with trail food at all. Even looking back on what I've ate over the years, I'm like, I can't believe I put that poison into my body. But at the same time, it fueled me efficiently to do 30 plus mile days. So can't complain. It's well, before I add up the score here, what what is your as an endurance runner now? What what is the your source of food? What are you what are you putting in? What's your fuel? <laughs> well, now it's a lot of protein because <laughs> I'm I'm functionally training as well. So I do a lot of training in the gym with functional uh, strength training and conditioning. Uh, a lot of oatmeal, a lot of cleaner carbs rather than processed carbs. It's a lot more fruit. Um, like I said, the biggest game changer for me has been the protein to build the muscle to sustain for longer and cleaner sources of the protein, not just protein bars and protein shakes, uh, more meat, higher quality meat, um, better sources of dairy. So I think cleaning up my diet has really helped me heal in, uh, focus in more on the sport of this and uh, doing it more intentionally. They said better sources of meat and better sources of dairy. What, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, cows and cows. I mean, what, what, what are the better sources? Um, organic grass fed, um, which we will segue into more. when We talk about the homestead, um, just knowing the sources of how your meat was raised, um, regenerative farming, just how, how are they, uh, feeding these animals? What are the conditions that the animals are raised in? I feel like definitely goes hand in hand with um, the intention behind why you're consuming the meat and um, paying for what you get. You know, it's going to be uh, higher in cost, but I feel like it's more sustainable energy, cleaner energy. Got it. Got it. Okay. Hawaii, I've got to do some math here. I need to put your answers through the John freaking mirror algorithm <laughs> to come up with a score, a sanity score. I've got to, let's see, I got to, got to carry the three. <laughs> We're going to divide by root two, multiply by pi, and we're going to adjust for the atmospheric pressure at the top of Mount Haleakala. 
on Maui, <laughs> and I come up with a score of sixty-three. Oh, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty sane. That's pretty. That's, okay. Those are high marks. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I gave a score out above sixty. So wow, that's a, okay. that's a badge of honor. You, I think you I've been out off the trail for too long. That <laughs> could be. That could be. You're a little far removed from the trail. That's why you're so sane. Okay. Hey, uh, Hawaii, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Let's hear about that background. You mentioned Florida. You mentioned Hawaii. Let's talk about where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played, and how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? It is a cult. It it is a cult. Any any organization (laughs) that convinces you to sleep in the dirt for months on end, that's got to be a cult, right? And then you become addicted to it and tell everybody about it. Um, I was born and raised in South Florida, one of many children um, surprisingly did no sports or activities. Wait, wait, hang, I on, had... hang on, I can't, I can't let that pass. One of many children. I, 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 one of five. That. One of five. Okay. Five. <laughs> Got it. Um, never, like I said, didn't any organized sports. I was diagnosed with, um, scoliosis, which is a big curvature of the spine when I was about 14. And by the time I was 15 underwent a full spinal fusion of my wow. spine <laughs> um got about four inches taller from surgery but it definitely set me back as far as what i perceived possible for myself i didn't um go after any sports or i was not very active at all until i moved to hawaii um and had been divorced young 20s and so that is when i became very obsessed with biking trails because A, it was free, <laughs> and B, there was tons of hiking trails around me, and as soon as you got to the top of the trails in Hawaii, you had a 360 view of the whole island, and if it was a clear day, you could see the other islands. Um, so I quickly um, became fascinated with just the, re- the reality of I can get off work and then just go climb a mountain with my friends at the end of the day and watch sunset. Um, so it became a very exciting thing for me. And at that time I started to realize that, oh, maybe my back surgery and what the doctors had told me was a limitation was just my perceived limitation. Um, and so over the years I started hiking more and more and more and feeling really confident and inspired and started seeing this through hiking thing presented to me in social media and had really piqued my interest to sort of better myself and be this thing of like, I've never pushed myself that hard and seen if I was capable of it. So it kind of planted a seed in me and I just started researching it and realized this is what I was going to do. And I had no back pain since my back surgery. Well, now it's like almost 18 years ago. And so I wanted to see if the limitations were real or if I was capable of something. And so I told everybody I needed to just go do this hike and and see if I could do it, see if I could accomplish it. Um, but it turns out when I finish, <laughs> um, it's all I wanted to do. <laughs> so once I finished the PCT, I went back to Hawaii and I, I couldn't sit still. I took a job in Africa and then I took a job in Oregon and I just started traveling a bunch to save more money to go back onto another trail and then another trail and another trail and another trail. So it was a small seed that was planted that 
became an idea for me to push myself and see if it was possible for me having a full spinal fusion. And then once I realized it was possible, I just kind of wanted to keep pushing that envelope a little bit. Wow. What a story. And I've got some, I got some, I have some follow-up questions for you. Um, first of all, to our listeners out there, to anybody who, who maybe is, is not a, a through hiker who has no, um, maybe belief in themselves that they can, they can actually do a, a through hike like the AT or the PCT. Um, just, I mean, listen to Hawaii's story here that she, she was a, a young lady who really did not participate in a whole lot of, of uh, organized sports or activities like that, who had scoliosis, who had surgery. And as a result of that spinal fusion surgery grew, I mean, that, that's just mind blowing grew four inches, four inches as a result of that surgery. And now not only is she a hiker, but she, she hiked all three of the American long trails. I mean, that, I mean, um, that's just inspiring. And so congratulations on that Uh, question though. How did you go from a 22 mile out and back to then, you know, 2,600 miles from Mexico (laughs) to Canada? I was kind of bored with my life to be honest. And I was living in Hawaii. It wasn't like my life was bad. I, I was doing what I loved. I was teaching and then I became a nanny and I had a great circle of friends. I lived on an island had a great lifestyle. It kind of went a little deeper. I feel like I kind of was searching for to go deeper within myself. And there had been things from my divorce and from my marriage and that life that I'd lived that, you know, when we experience a lot of heavy emotions, we tend to stuff them down and just move on because we got to be an adult and deal with life and process and continue on. No one's going to take care of us. You know, my family was far away. I had to figure it out for myself. And so I, I think what happened when I planted the seed within myself of the PCT, it became this, I need to go deeper within myself and sit with myself and the quiet and the isolation from the distractions really did that for me. And so it it was never like a, I'm going to go as far as I go and I'll be satisfied. It's like, I'm going to Canada and I'm so glad I had that mindset because every week to week was so different. Every month to month was so different. And the, the further I got, the more I changed and the more those things came up for me and I was able to process and deal with them in healthier ways and in more realistic ways rather than just pushing them aside. Yeah, many people out there on the the long trails who are doing a long, long hike, uh, a lot of times they're they're dealing with with stuff, right? They are they're processing stuff, they're healing from trauma. Whether, you know, I talked to, I've talked to veterans out there on the trail. I've talked to people who are coming out of divorces, difficult situations, and they are not only enjoying the physical activity, but also enjoying that uh, alone time to be able to, to work through stuff. It's powerful. Very powerful. And Hawaii, I also want you to know that as we go through an episode, I'm always on the lookout for a, an episode title. And right now, the the two top candidates for for this episode's title, I've got the whole cheesecake, or <laughs> or bored in Hawaii. So I mean, there, there maybe some other ones that come up, but the, those those are two that jump out at me right now. <laughs> Just makes me want cheesecake right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are you paying the bills these days? What what do you do to finance your your adventures? So I um, I'm still nanning. I've done this professionally for about sixteen years. 
I worked with an agency called Adventure Nannies. Uh, it has placed me with high profile families all over the world, which has been a great way to travel. Um, but in the past couple of years, started to feel stagnant in that, especially as I reached closer to the age of wanting my own family. So I now work as a fitness coach at a local gym here in Colorado Springs called F45, functional 45 minute classes. So we have cardio days, strength days, and hybrid days, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> it is an amazing gym environment. I get to coach um, group, big group fitness classes, and it's more of like a personal training approach with 30 plus people sometimes in class. Um, so I do that, and I just started my very first backpacking boot camp online coaching program. So I um, have a six-week backpacking program where I take I take clients uh, virtually and I put them through a process every week of three different workouts. And then we jump on a call and we talk about nutrition and objectives and just sort of work together toward that goal of getting ready for the mountain or the trail. Nice. And you know what, Hawaii, we just had a, a third candidate for the title of the episode. Uh, I'm also considering now adventuring Adventures in Nannying. It's been a wild journey. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. All right. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your triple crown. We're going to talk about your endurance running and some of the other things you're up to. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the back country to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. 
So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Sarah Dramas, a.k.a. Hawaii. I love that trail name, actually. <laughs> even, if, even if it doesn't have a good story, I mean, it's just, it's a good name. Solid. <laughs> All right. So you decided, I'm going to do the PCT. Do you remember when you first learned that there was a trail that went all the way from Mexico to Canada and you could, you could walk that trail. Yeah. I wanted to do it. <laughs> I learned there was not a lot of females that had done it. And I, I feel like that was the fire under my butt to be like, well, I have to do it now. Right. I mean, did you, did you see a movie? Did you read a book? I mean, how did you find out about the PCT? There was a female on social media. Her name was Dora the Explorer who happens to be one of my good friends now. Um, I don't even know how I found her or we found one another, but she had just finished it. I want to say in 2013 or 14. And she was also a nanny like me and her experience. We just seem really similar in our, our views and our process and our beliefs and following her journey. It, it felt like I was almost there with her and just the way that this community works, you know, I reached out to her and she was like, you can absolutely do this. And, it it felt very real when somebody who I looked up to and was inspired by was like, hey, here's the baton. It's your turn. You can do it. So it, it planted the seed. Again, I say that a lot, but, you know, a lot of times things come into our lives and we either we water them or we just like let them go. So when the seed plants and you and you really commit to it, it can flourish and grow. And so she finished the trail and then I was like, well, if somebody I know can do it there's no reason I can't. That's right. And you know what? I like the idea of planting the seed because I think an undertaking as big as that, I mean, it's not just something that you jump into after having thought about it for a week. I mean, this is oftentimes I'm talking to people who have thought about this for years, sometimes decades Mm -hmm. before saying, you know what, I'm going to do it. It kind of gets into their brain and wriggles around and burrows in there and really just kind of eats away at them until they are ready to go out there and do it. And so uh, she planted the seed for you. You're planting the seed for others. I, I'm hoping that, you know, this podcast is, is doing that for others as well, that you know, they hear from enough people and they see people from all different walks of life are able to do things like this, that maybe they'll get inspired to go out and, and do it themselves. Oh, it could be so intimidating as well. The amount of planning and preparation and sacrifices also. You know, you're walking away from jobs, you're walking away from families, you're walking away from friends, and this comfort that we work so hard to create our own comforts. So then when you're just choosing to just walk away from it and create your own comfort in the risky, uncomfortable perspective world is a very dangerous concept to some people. So once you commit to it and you start planning and prepping and making those sacrifices, it sort of hardens you a little bit. Um to being like, no, this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. 
and what you speak into existence um, then becomes your reality. You know, after all that time of planning and, and preparing and getting the right gear and make, getting the logistics ready, you arrive to it at the time that I feel like we're ready. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about being uncomfortable, Sarah. I mean, is there any value in learning how to be uncomfortable? Is there any transferability into, you know, civilized life, having that skill? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I pride myself in, in feeling like that's how I try to live my life now. Um, I, I'd only slept in a tent or outside maybe a handful of times before I decided to do the PCT. And I started that trail by myself with every intention of spending every night by myself in a place I'd never been. And there's so much that you learn in that time frame on a day-to-day basis of using what you're carrying and trusting that what you're carrying is enough, um, that you just learn so much uh, from your environment, in your own adaptability, in what you're mentally capable of, physically capable of. And so when you take that experience and then come back into, call it the fake world, this world, where you're not on trail, I often find that if you're not living that life of being uncomfortable in whatever you're doing, if I'm not being uncomfortable coaching, I'm not being a good coach. I I need to be talking to new people that come in that are new to the gym environment. I need to be pushing members to go to lift heavier, to push themselves harder, harder when they're, when they're doing the pushups and to go faster. And so I feel like whatever it is we're doing, if we're not pushing that edge of uncomfortable, we're not trying enough Um, because just going through the motions, it doesn't get us to that next place where we really succeed and learn the most that we can. Yeah. I used to make the mistake of asking my guests about when they come back into the real world. And I I realized that uh, this is not the real world. I mean, we live in a very (laughs) artificial uh, world. And so the real world is when you're actually out there on the trail and you're, you're, you're out there being uncomfortable. Yeah. So I like the way you put that though. There is a, there's a lot of uh, transference from those skills out in the real world and coming back and, and using that to your advantage here in the, in the artificial world. Uh, there's a very nice symmetry to your your triple crown. You have uh, the PCT in 2015, the AT in 2017, and the CDT in 2019. Two years apart. That's that's a nice bit of planning there. Uh, I, you know, I thought when I was going to do the PCT, I was just going to be done, but something got a little unhinged. Uh, yeah, I think it was just really finding the money. <laughs> I'll do it again. I did had a nice little teaser. I did the the Colorado trail in 2016 in between the AT and the, the PC and the AT. Um, but I think pay, spacing it like that was pretty good because I was away from the trail long enough to arrive to it with the honor <laughs> it deserved. Let's ask a, a couple questions there. When did you realize on the PCT that, you know what, I am doing more than the PCT. This is not it. This is just the start. I think it was, once I hit the Washington border, uh, my last 500 miles, I was about 2,000 miles in, and it started to just suck. <laughs> it was raining and snowing and like 20 degrees, and everything was soaking wet. My sleeping bag was soaking wet. There was fire closures. People were getting off trail because of time constraints. It Everything had just gone downhill, and... 
there was nothing about me that was like ready to throw in the towel. I was more just like sad that it was ending soon. And for me to be in like the tornado, <laughs> like the hardest part of the trail, like I just had the glory and the high of making through all through California and the desert and then fighting through the Sierra, my first time in the snow, and then the beauty of Oregon. I think by the time I hit Washington, I realized it was almost over. I was like, this can't be almost over. And once you make up your mind about that, then you meet people who live in Colorado or have done the AT. So as soon as you kind of sink your mind into, I'm going to do more, then you meet people who have the stories to just help you really realize that now you want to go and see what the AT is all about. Now you want to go to Colorado. <laughs> now, some people might might look on that uh, chain of events where it's all kind of just kind of falling apart at the end. And they might take that as a sign from the world that, you know what? get off trail, but not you, you, you kind of opened yourself up for other possibilities. And I like that notion that um, there's a, a synchronicity that when you, when you start thinking about something, then, then it, then all of a sudden it, it pops up in some form near you. You think that's because just your mind is, is more open to it at that point, or is there some kind of, uh, I don't know, existential issue here? You know, I've had a lot of time to think about that because it seems to be a reoccurring thing I tell people. Um, I did get a hitchhike one time in just outside the Sierra on the PCT, and it was this couple, and they told me about the concept of proanoia, or it's the opposite of paranoia, where everything and everybody's against you. It's like where you're conspiring to believe that the world is there for you, or all these events are conspiring for you, um, which can sound a little tree huggery. I get it. But on, on trail, you don't have distractions. Most of the time, you don't have self-service. You don't have your mom calling you or your friend calling you. You don't have to worry about your bills. You don't have to worry about your job or your apartment or all these other things, your car. Because you have such limited distractions, I feel like your thoughts, whatever direction they go to, it's more magnified and you have more intention behind it. You know, when you're just thinking logistically, I have 86 miles and to get to the next town, I only have this much food. You're honed in on like what you can eat and when you can eat to help you get to where you're going. Um, so I feel like the lack of distractions really help whatever your mind is on to fully be on it and present. Got it. Got it. Now, have you heard of the, the concept type two fun? Yes. So those are, those are the things for our listeners out there who are maybe not familiar with type two fun. These are the things that uh, maybe not be, they're not fun when they're happening, but you have a whole lot of fun talking about it to other people after the fact. So when you think of the PCT, what, uh, what jumps out, what jumps out at you? Do you need any type two fun or any, any special memories that immediately jump to mind? Um, I would definitely say water crossings in the Sierra after really in a cold, after a cold winter, <laughs> it's like, six in the morning and you've got a giant river <laughs> or like melted glacier water to cross and it is freezing and it is moving very swift and very fast so you're unclipping your pack you're taking your shoes off you're tying to the top you're making sure all your stuff in your pack is in a giant dry bag you're making sure your phone is in a ziploc bag and there is a very definite chance that if you are going to go cross that water source you can be ripped downstream and who knows who would find you. So I think I would definitely categorize the PCT type two fun, Sierra water crossings, 
terrified. The yeah, adrenaline yeah. really fuels you to get some milestone. I'll tell you what. That, that'll wake you up in the morning, that uh, ice yes. cold water. And <laughs> to share with people, why do you, why do you unclip your, your, uh, your pack when you're doing water crossings? If you leave the pack clipped to you, if you are, God forbid, taken downstream, your foot footing goes under you, which has happened to me, um, your pack is just going to pull you down heavier and you can get lodged to something. By not having your pack, you're not confined to that weight and that, that especially your pack is already heavy, but if you added water to it, you're going to be, have more chances to get pinned to something or snagged on something. Um, which could then lead to drowning or whatnot. So having your hands free, it is just a pack. I'd rather lose my pack than lose my life. And so if I'm swept downstream without that, I have more chances of using my hands to crawl out or to pull myself from what I'm caught into. Why? That's almost a pro tip right there. That's, that's good stuff. And I wish my friends would have told me this when I was out hiking on the JMT my my first time back in 2015. Oh, uh, you know nothing happened. Nothing happened. I crossed. I did all the river crossings, and it was it was fine. But then I, you know, I think maybe after one of my our last river crossings, I turn around and there's my 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 buddy that I'm hiking with who he's got his stuff unclipped. I'm like, hey, why is your stuff unclipped? And then he told me, oh yeah, you do that so you don't drown. I'm like, well, hey, thanks thanks for the insight ahead of time. No one told me either. I saw somebody else doing it. So right. you kind of fake it to make it a little bit on trail. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, totally. Like I slept in my tent the wrong way for the first 800 miles of the PCT. So sometimes you just make these uh, mistakes. You got to go with it. How do you sleep in your tent the wrong way? <laughs> it was a, it's a fair question. Okay. It was one of those long single wall tents. It's higher on one side, the entry side and lower on the end. And I thought I was supposed to crawl into it. And I had my head at the little end and somebody bison was his name. He walked by and said, Hey, Hawaii, like, how are you going to get out of that tent? If there's a fire, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> just clicked on me. I would have to turn around. And I always wondered why my tent was like right there in my face. So I learned my lesson. <laughs> there you go. Only 800 miles. That's nice. Only 800 miles. <laughs> <laughs> Now, PCT and AT, two very different trails, mm-hmm. very different personalities. What uh, what do you remember from your, your time on the AT? What were the big differences? Not as many views as the PCT. PCT is like, you get, it's like candy lane. You start in the desert and then you, then you earn the Sierra mountain range. And then you have the high, highland of, of Northern California. It was always something different. You had to earn your way. AT was just like a green tunnel, as everyone says. But there's definitely something to the 14 states. And the demographic of all was very different. It was surprising, too. Like, New Jersey, surprisingly, one of the most beautiful places on the trail. Saw so many bears. It was stunning. And then kind of earn the whites in New Hampshire and the finish. So very different very big differences. I got really pale on the AT on the PCT. I got sunburn on my ears. So it's just very different exposures. You're not as high up, but comparatively the AT physically, a lot more demanding, a lot more demanding. It's just constant up and downs, up and downs. There's a lot more because the PCT is graded for pack animals. You have much slower, swift switchbacks going up the mountain. Whereas the AT, it's like, you're there. (laughs) So definitely different terrain. Um, 
but in different ways. I, I love them both in different ways. There's no comparison really. <laughs> right. Now talk about, uh, you mentioned 14 states. What is the effect on your psyche when you, you do a trail with 14 states uh, versus a trail that only has three states like the PCT? It's a lot more exciting. It took me three months to get through California on the PCT. But the third or fourth state on the Appalachian Trail is Virginia, and they call it the Virginia Blues, which rightfully so, because it's like 500 miles long, and it rained almost every single day. And the morale was really low. And because the AT is so accessible to towns, one of the longest conservation projects in the world, everybody can get to the trail. So it's really easy to to quit or get off or jump off. Or A lot of people in the AT have friends and family coming or whatnot, whereas the PCT, you're so remote that you're in it longer. Like you're in the remoteness longer where you feel more wild. On the AT, because there's more states and more accessibility, it felt like I wasn't truly far removed unless it was like these longer stints and it still felt accessible. So even though there were more states on the AT, the PCD had this different appeal because you truly, in my mind, did feel so much more detached from everything. That's interesting. I've never heard it put that way before. We've never talked about that on the on the podcast before. And that, you know, we ha- we have talked about the fact that fourteen states versus three states. I mean, it seems like you're in California forever. I mean, it's yeah. just uh, you, it could be demoralizing that you you've been hiking for for more than a month maybe more than two months, depending on your speed, uh, maybe more than three months and you're still in California. Yeah. It just, you're always there. But this fact about the AT being so close to, you know, different towns. Mm-hmm. So many, many towns are trail adjacent and there's that uh, ease of saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm just getting off. It's really easy for me to, to leave the trail uh, at many points, but in, on the PCT, you're right, it's remote. And so you don't have that luxury of, well, I can just jump. I just bail out right here because there's mm-hmm. there's not as many bailout points. I I never thought about that before. That's a that's an excellent point. I slept in more uh, public restrooms on the PCT than on the AT. I slept in more hotels <laughs> and hostels. So comparatively, you gotta make do with what you got. <laughs> well, you know what? If you've slept in in public restrooms, you need to contact Matador at uh, outinthewild.life and get your your hiker trash hat because that was that was ib tat uh that was his qualifying characteristic in order to get a hat you couldn't just pay for the hat you had to sleep in a public restroom somewhere so you you qualify Many my day. <laughs> nice any any type two fun and judging from the fact that you slept in a public restroom many times any type two fun on the at the whites Going through the whites, uh, going through New Hampshire, <clears throat> I say type two fun because it was like a sea of fog. It, I couldn't see much, and the wind was howling, and the weather just seemed like it was it was a hundred percent or nothing. And I didn't expect it from the AT. I mean, I had all that rain in Virginia, but it it seemed to be like. The obstacles in the AT were like mental obstacles of being in the green tunnel and still being in the same state or just not feeling like you're you're seeing the views. But the whites, the type two fun was like New Hampshire was getting through like the Mahusik Notch in a rainstorm. 
um, it was getting up and over boulders that were really sketchy and my shoes had just been tattered at the point. So I think the type two fun was just hitting the section of the ATO wasn't prepared for because I thought it would just been a walk in the park. And all of a sudden the trail was like, oh, hey, I'm going to wake you up with terrible weather and you'll be on giant boulders and you can't see anything. And I wasn't using, I don't think gut hooks at the time for our guides now. So I was using the old trail maps. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to get lost when you don't have like a little navigational beacon. So it wasn't as intense type two fun in, in this explanation, but if you were there, you would totally <laughs> understand. Got it. Now, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but a lot of similarities between the, the PCT and the AT in that very well-established trails. Um, I'm curious, when you got to the CDT in 2019, is that a totally different animal or were you, were you, you knew what to expect and you got there and it was, it was exactly as you, you had prepared for? The CDT, if you've done a through hike, if you've done the AT or the PCT, the CDT is like the wild ant that, that when the she's around, you're like, oh, the hell did you come from? It's it's a little bit of the PCT, a little bit of the AT, just maximized. It is the holy grail of through hikes. We all have that wild ant, and and, and she usually shows <laughs> up around the holidays. <laughs> and you don't know what to expect, and you think you have an idea, but then when you think you have an idea, it just throws you for a loop. Um, CDT, because it's so unfinished and it's so remote, it is like a choose your own adventure of through hikes. The desert portion, you know, most, all my through hikes I've done, um, northbound, the desert portion is wildly remote. I mean, you have to get a special four by four vehicle to get to the trailhead and there's border patrol and helicopters and there's border patrol telling you about these snakes that'll, they'll bite you. They'll kill you because there's no vet, there's no antivenom for them. So going through the desert of the CDT, it requires water caches. And that is something that on the PCT, you don't have to worry about. And the AT, you're spoiled. <laughs> you have springs everywhere. So immediately off the bat on the CDT, you don't have a guaranteed water source. And you have 27-mile water carries. So the remoteness and the reality of the start really sets the foundation. It, sets the stage for what you're going to get yourself into. Now, when we talked about the PCT and the AT, and we talked about type two fun, you were very specific in your answers on type two fun. It was the high Sierra river crossings and it was the, the white mountains. When I, when I talked to you about type two fun on the CDT, what comes to mind? Colorado, the place I moved to. <laughs> the, the, the type two fun that convinced me to move my life here and start again. Um, in 2019, when I did the CDT, I did not realize this, but I did it in a 1000% above average snow year in Colorado. Now, remember, <laughs> I'd never seen snow until I got on the PCT. So hiking snow, navigating snow, layering myself for snow, any knowledge about snow, I learned from other hikers on trail or from my experience. So by the time I got to, uh, it actually started snowing in New Mexico before we got to the border to Colorado, there was a couple foot feet of snow at the border to Colorado. It was around Memorial Day weekend. I had to order snowshoes for the first time, never used snowshoes before, how to learn carrying snowshoes, how to learn having micro spikes, 
Type 2 fun was the entire state of Colorado. At that point, there was probably 12 other hikers for the season about, like ahead of me. And sometimes those hikers were getting lost. They were getting off trail. They're getting back on trail. They were going around. I heard all these horror stories. So I kind of grouped up with a few people. And that Type 2 fun was just surviving every day. Um, the trail was covered in so much snow. And then in the afternoon, you would get sun cups from the sun feeding down on the trail. So you'd go take a step and you'd just go waist deep. You know, I'd lose my snowshoes. It would be going over passes, over cornices. So you got that big shelf of snow and you got to get up the mountain. And you, Or you think for hours you're following hiker footprints, but it ends up being an animal track. It was terrifying. I mean, every day it was like... It was so helpful to be with other hikers because it wasn't just me trying to come up with a plan and a navigational plan. It was extremely tiring to make miles. I'm talking 15 to 20 miles. And it was hard because up until that point in the desert, I was averaging 25 to 35 miles. So mentally it was draining. And also it was like every day it was like, how am I, am I going to die? <laughs> it wasn't just like, smooth sailing it was like the snow was a huge obstacle and I even took a week off at the time and went to go visit somebody and came back but there was no more stalling like I needed to just keep going I always say on trail 90% of your problems can be solved by just continuing to move even if you're inching even if I'm making 15 miles a day I'm still moving north to Canada um, so it was the mental aspect of going six miles in the wrong direction or just falling or getting sun blindness in my eyes from staring at the sun, uh, the snow, snow blindness. Every day it was something new. And it was, it wasn't like it was just something new. It was like, I was learning a whole new world that I had no experience in. So it just made it that more emotionally exhausting as well. Got it. Got it. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And then once that was done, then there were grizzly bears in Idaho and Wyoming, Montana. So it just never ended. The whole CDT was type two five. <laughs> so very specific on the, on the, the PCT and the AT, the CDT, the entire thing was type two. Nice. Any, any grizzly oh, yeah. bear encounters? 21. 21. Wow. 21. And my very last day of the CDT, um, 12 miles from the border, there was a mama grizzly bear and her three cubs eating berries it got as close to me as like two feet so it was terrifying I mean looking back I'm like what a precious experience I got to see these grizzly bears but at the same time like I was sleep I was too exhausted at night to be fearful because you're just so tired you could lay there and be like oh there's bears but you're just so tired you don't really think about it but looking back now like, dang, I was real brave because that was, that was, if my mom saw what I was doing, she'd probably not, she'd probably be terrified. <laughs> you, you were either brave or just completely exhausted. Exhausted and a little bit insane. I think it's a mixture of all of it. Yeah. Your score just went down a little bit. You're down in the 50s. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hey, let's, let's switch gears because I know that you have pivoted from through hiking to now doing endurance running. How did, how did that happen? Uh, the pandemic, <laughs> I got done with the P the CDT, my triple crown in 2019 and went back to California for one of my jobs. And I got back there and 
it was it's a weird feeling when you finish the long trails because it feels like part of you has died but part of you is newly alive but i'm i was still searching for that high of miles of distance and getting my mind in that through hiking zone and then by the next year everything shut down so i couldn't go travel to these national parks or backpack everything was closed but i i could run so i taught myself to run and that's sort of how i dealt with um you know losing my job at the time and not being able to travel to see my family and my friends and it sort of became my antidepressant and really helped me move through my post-trail anxiety and i just became obsessed with it so i moved to colorado a year ago to live in the mountains where i could train year-round and for the past year have been doing a handful of races which has felt like a nice um, expression of those two years of training on my own. Do you think that there is uh, an obsessive personality trait uh, for people who are maybe triple crowners or endurance athletes? I mean, do they go, do you go like whole hog into something, just become obsessed with it and go deep dive down the rabbit hole? I think our blood is different than other people's after a while. Yeah, absolutely. But it's nope. it but knowing that feels like a it feels like a superpower. It feels like I have no excuses to like be anxious or be in a dark place with myself or be depressed because I know my anti-drug. Like I know the thing that makes me feel like superhuman is that I can keep going for I'm like I'm not a fast runner. I run 10, 11, 12 minute miles, but I run and it it makes me feel it gives me so much clarity. So the PCT, all the trails unlock something for me that no one can ever take away from me. And it, it, it now gets to equip me to live the rest of my life with those principles. Why is it a fair comment to say that through hikers, when they finish a through hike, just like uh, runners, when they finish a run, that they're thinking about the next hike or the next run. I mean, you're already planning in your mind when you're going to do that again it's not you can't just rest not think about it for a while it's 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 an obsession it's always there never goes away that's right that's right (laughs) and what what uh, distance races are you running um so i've done a 50k i did a 25k i've done the did this year i did the david goggins four by four by 48 have you heard of that i have i have that's impressive very intense um especially running I mean, I did a you know, midnight run, a couple of midnight runs. And I don't live in a bad neighborhood. I live in Colorado Springs by Garden of the Gods. But people do weird things at midnight <laughs> running through a neighborhood. There's a man painting his fence. There was a goldfish deal going down. I don't know. It was very odd. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. I liked having that commitment. I, it, it was a fun challenge. I think I might do it again next year. I was thinking about doing the one by one by 24. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a thing it's a thing it is a thing yeah it's 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 one mile uh every hour for 24 hours oh I so i mean you're doing fun. 24 miles in, in in a 24 hour period and there's yeah. that there's the midnight and the the 1 a.m and the 2 a.m runs of course so i, I that's another thing I, I learning to run in the pandemic i created my own races so training myself i would print my own bib out and, and do a marathon or print my own bib out and do something. And I loved it because I could use my car as an aid station. I can use my house as an aid station. 
and didn't have to pay for any race entries. So it kind of became my thing. So to be at races now, this past year, I've done five or six races. It's a whole different sport because <laughs> I'm used to just doing it on my own. But at the same time, it's the challenge of it that makes it fun. That's right. The streets of Colorado Springs are free. <laughs> there's no there's no gym membership. <laughs> All right. Now let's uh I don't I don't want to miss out on this opportunity to talk to you about your next big adventure coming up, and that is homesteading. Tell us about homesteading and, and what, what this is all about. Um, so uh my boyfriend and I um have 15 acres, just about an hour outside of town. Um the 15 acres sit at just about 10,000 feet. So it's a little higher in elevation than where I currently am. And we are building a cabin. We are building a homestead. We've got a giant meadow where we will be raising our own animals, pasture-raised pigs, and we'll have some dairy cows and chickens and goats. We'll be um, raising our own food. And because we have that giant meadow where the sun hits and it's so high up, um, we'll be able to grow fruits and vegetables and the idea of the homestead is to uh, create something that we can share within the community, provide food, not only for ourselves, but people within that mountain community and create um, just a barter system, a share with it all. And to be able to live sustainably, growing our own food. And now that we are expecting a child, it is making it a little more exciting um, to know that by the time this child does enter the world in the summer, it will only know living in a mountain life and everything it eats will be what we grow. And so the concept of that is just really exciting because it's like my life is now going to shift to a permanent through hike. <laughs> How exciting. And congratulations on, on the child. When's the, when's the due date? June 20th. Okay. June 20th. And still... Too early to know if it's a boy or a girl, or just prefer not to know. Ultrasound today just set the genetic blood test off, so we should find in a couple of weeks. Okay, all right, but. that's awesome. Now, did you did you had you done much research on homesteading prior to embarking upon this adventure? Uh, my research was being a through hiker. <laughs> so this has been uh, my boyfriend's dream for quite some time. He was in the army and has been here for quite some time, and when he got out. Um, this is just a dream that he's had with his own children. He's got a 10 and a 12 year old. And it's funny how, you know, your dreams, everything sort of comes together when you're in the right place and with the right person. So this dream has manifested within both of us now. And it, it sort of makes me feel like everything I've done up until this point in my life, it all makes sense. Like all my experience feeling comfortable in the wilderness and being around animals is like, because I was meant to like raise animals and 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 raise and grow my own food and to raise children in this environment. And my background with nannying and working with children and my degree of working with children, it's sort of like mixing everything I've done into one. So this is, I feel like my ultimate expression of using my knowledge in the wilderness to now live in the wilderness. Wow. How exciting. Congratulations. Thank I can't you. wait to see uh, your, your social media posts and keep, keep track of, of how it's going out there. And are you, are you completely off grid? It will be completely off grid. Yes. We're going to have some solar powered energy. Um, the whole idea, like I said, is to be completely sustainable. So um, we do have um, 
a water source on the land and a spring close by. So it's all a learning, it's all a learning effort. We're going to be a 12 by 16 cabin to start. So it is, it's going to be, it already is a process of so much to learn, especially living that high in, if it's snowing here, it's really snowing there. So I've never had to live in snow and commute. So it's going to be interesting experience. <laughs> what's the, al- what's the altitude of the cabin of the homestead? 9,992 9, feet. Wow. So yeah, you'll, cool. you'll see some snow. You'll see, you'll see quite a bit of snow. <laughs> wow. All right. Hey, um, have you heard of the Barkley marathons? Oh yeah. Is that, is that something you, you would think about uh, entering? No. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, I was I waiting for the, I was waiting for the hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still got to get a 50 miler and a hundred miler. And I do, I I feel really inspired because the women in ultra running seem to be peaking in their forties and fifties. And it, it's this amazing culture where I feel like the older women are the stronger they get. And I feel like I've just dipped like my pinky toe into the pool of ultra running. Um, and I, I, I'm so glad that I've learned the skills of like going a long time, but there's still so much to learn so so much respect for those people doing it this is an insane race yeah you're you're just getting started you're just dipping your toe in right now just it's a long way down. to go nice. <laughs> hey hawaii you know where we are huh do you know where we are are we on the Jomir? well i'm in southern california and you're in colorado but the pro tip insight of the week. We're at that time of the episode where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners. So what do you have for us? Anything, any wisdom at all. Any wisdom at all. What, what, what uh, piece of advice could you give us to, to make our next outdoor experience even better? Um, I'm going to say something that's, that could be quite controversial. Oh, okay. <laughs> A lot of people are probably getting mad when I say this. You don't need the entire first aid kit. Were you expecting that one? <laughs> I, I was not expecting that one, but as somebody who goes goes pretty light on the first aid kit, uh, I I, uh, okay. I I can empathize. So yeah, explain what you're talking about. Um, I just see a lot of times where you get like the hard case with like twenty bandages and like all this gel and all this anti. You don't need as much as you think you need. I duct tape around my trekking poles, usually carry some liquid bandages, um, uh, just something to clean something out. I know it sounds like, you know, all these things could go wrong. But again, like I said, we carry our fears and little things add up. So take that knowledge of you don't need the whole first aid kit when it comes to everything in your pack. If you're looking to downsize and clip on trail weight, um, one of the easiest ways to do it is being like, do I need this? Am I going to need this in the next couple of weeks? If not, if it's a probability, just carry one. Just that simple thing when it comes to all things. You don't need to carry town clothes. You need a shirt to hike in, a long sleeve to sleep in, and you're good to go. You don't need as much as you think you need. So that's my pro tip. You can do, you can go further by carrying less. Nice. And that all started with a smaller uh, first aid kit. I, I carry a pill bottle with some Advil in it, some Band-Aids and some crazy glue. And then I've got duct tape, like you said, duct tape will, will help in a lot of areas. 
Yeah, duct tape and a, a safety pin. Usually I will carry a safety pin. Um, I'll carry two pairs of socks to hike in, I'll, one for, and I'll switch them out. And when I come by a water source, if a pair is crunchy and dirty, I'll clean it in the water source and then pin it to the outside of my pack so that it dry in the sun. Um, but also you can clean that safety pin if you got a blister on your foot or someone does. You can tie a thread to that safety pin, push that safety pin and that thread through the blister and leave that, that thread in the blister and let it slowly drain. Um, so there's a lot of multi-purposes for small pieces of gear. And that is a game changer to know what little things you can carry that can do multi things rather than carrying multiple things that only do one or two things. That's right. And uh, for those who are wondering out there, I, I only carry the clothes that I'm wearing because my goal is to, you know, earn the, earn the title hiker trash, but also the goal is to get the clothes so stiff and worked in that they walk by themselves. It really takes the pressure off of me. So if you're not doing your town, your, your trail laundry, in a trash bag at the laundromat, you're not truly living. <laughs> you're not truly hiker trash. That's right. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Hawaii. want to thank her for joining us this week. Sarah, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I am uh, Fearless Sarah um, on Instagram and Facebook. That's where you can find my backpacking program that I just released. And the homestead is Northern Hearth Homestead. Northern Hearth Homestead. I got to write that down. I'm going to be following. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Hawaii, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, website, something, some kind of outdoor media that's going to keep our listeners connected to the trail in the off season. We call this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? I have my friend's book. He just came out with, this is above the ashes. Uh, but my friend, Kevin Conley, he is also a through hiker. Um, he's a wild and firefighter who biked across the country to uh, raise funds for mental health awareness. Uh, dear friend of, my, of mine. And this story is, a great memoir of his journey and what he's raising awareness for is uh, quite admirable. So go ahead and give his book a follow. Kevin, Above the, the Ashes. Above, Above the, ashes. the Ashes. Kevin Connolly. Kevin Connolly. Got it. Got his it. handle is back, uh, Backpacking Ninja. Backpacking Backcountry Ninja. Ninja. Backcountry Ninja. There you go. Backcountry. <laughs> he might have to come on the podcast and, and talk about his book. He'd be a great one to have on. Can I drop your name? Can I say that Absolutely. Hawaii sent me? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Very good. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss today? Mm. Oh, Annapurna circuit, Nepal. The, the, did the Annapurna circuit, if you are looking to travel out of the country and snag a quick 200 miles, definitely recommend the central Himalayan trail. It's a very inexpensive country to travel through. You don't have to sleep in a tent. Just bring your sleeping bag. It's a beautiful country. Um, so if you're looking to even travel on your own, I felt completely safe when I was there. Um, it was a beautiful, great adventure. The Annapurna Circuit. Very good. All right. Hey, that is a wrap from the John Freakamere studio. Great job tonight, Sarah. Any shout outs to friends and family? 
all my through hikers all over the world. I miss you guys. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care that you've been sleeping in your tent the wrong way for the past 800 miles. <laughs> the trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. <laughs> Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.